0: All right, so somebody can hit the lights in the back, please. Welcome, everyone, to Friday Fire. We, we had some debuts tonight. Pastor Marcus led praise for the first time. Praise the Lord. Well done. And our sister Eunice led prayer for the first time. Well done, Eunice. All right. As most of you guys know, we've already sent out two teams to Indonesia. Um, Caleb it, led a team of 13 there in uh, Jakarta, the island of Java in Indonesia. And they're ministering there with different pastors, Bible colleges there. Pastor Christian, he took a team of 14 with um, Lisa leading it and leading the team. And they went to West Papua, Indonesia, which is quite an island. And uh, praise the Lord, we got word today that um, they had a revival service at a high school. Uh, earlier today, and there were 15 healings and uh, a lot of deep inner healing. So praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Mm. And uh, they've are likely they likely wrapped up their other revival service tonight. Uh, they had one at 6 p.m. Uh, it's probably over by now. Uh, but we are going to take some time after the message, and we're really going to pray for missions. So I want you guys to be ready for that um after the message we're really going to take it into another gear uh marcus could you get my uh, blue notebook in my bag i forgot it thank you sir so if you guys didn't know new philly is a church that is very committed to missions uh since i came here thank you uh since i came here at the end of 2005 we have sent out at least two mission teams every summer and winter except for one And uh, we've sent teams to Myanmar, Cambodia, Thailand, India, Nepal, Philippines, Indonesia, uh, did I say India, Uh, Australia even. Um, It's been cool. We've sent them all over the place, China, all over the place. And for many other countries, we've sent them multiple times. And uh, it's awesome to be in this church because we don't just go out there, but as I just shared, people's lives are getting healed, people are getting set on fire. Uh, We're going into places that have never experienced the the baptism of the Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing lives getting transformed. And um, I've had the privilege of going on three trips during my time here at New Philly and JSCM before it was known as New Philly. I went to Indonesia in 2006, Philippines 2007, and Myanmar in 2009. And uh, I'm telling you, I, I had the time of my life, every time, my just... Just my faith, I got challenged, and I did get beat up at times, but uh, God was really building me up through those, through those experiences. And um, before I get in the message, just a side note uh, about missions. That one of the things that God taught me from early on in my missions experience is the need to really pray over the region that you're going into, to really seek the Lord for what exactly you need to target in that area. Because if you read the Word, it's clear that it's not just the same demons in every single place but that there are spiritual strongholds over different areas. And we see this in the book of Daniel. When Daniel has a, a vision that disturbs him, he begins to pray and fast for 21 days, asking God for guidance. And at the end of the 21 days, an angel appears before him and says, Hey, from the beginning of your prayers, that first day of fasting, I was sent to, to go give you a message. Think about that. He didn't need to fast for 21 days, but uh, he was sent. But it says in Daniel ten thirteen. The angel says why he's late. He says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So, I mean, it's obvious that this wasn't the king of Persia that Daniel was serving that was blocking an angel. But the angel was saying that this demonic power, this chief prince over Persia, was blocking that message from God to Daniel. See, there's this spiritual stronghold. And Jesus himself calls Satan the prince of this world. And in Revelation 3, we read that he says, I know where you live where Satan has his throne. And it's very clear that when you go into a place, you need to bind the strongman. You need to find what are the areas that they are prone to attack. What are the areas that Satan is really trying to mess that, that place up in, and you got to attack it in prayer. It's the same in healing deliverance ministry for a person. We don't have the same sins for every single person and the same temptation. Some people really struggle with lust. Some people, it's not really a problem, but pride or anger or something else. And it's the same in a region. And uh, I'll tell you, when we went to Myanmar, we, we had a great time because we were really just seeking the spirit the whole way. And uh, before the trip, we asked God to really release clear prophetic words for the team throughout the trip. And we prayed over every region. And uh, we were pretty new in the prophetic and you know, just developing. But uh, we prayed over every city that we would go to. And some of the different team members shared with me just the impressions that they got on their heart. And for some of them, it matched up very clearly. Very clearly, this one city, oh, there's a lot of oppression here, a lot of idolatry. Uh, this, this place needs a lot of work. But then for other cities, it was conflicting words. And it was like, ah, is, this, is this for real? Is this the spirit? Um, for example, one place, one, one of our, our team members got a word that, oh, there's a lot of uh, danger of violence in this place. That uh, just saw us ministering and then suddenly all this violence in the pack and disruption and people coming in and just breaking up the service and if you know about Myanmar uh, that happens and Christians get imprisoned and they get tortured in different areas and this was an area that we had no idea about and so when we heard this word it was like oh but then another person got this word it's an open heaven that there is just a peace over this place God has mighty plans and purposes for this area so when I got those two conflicting words, it was like, all right, well, what do I do? And, and as the team leader, I had to really pray and discern just, just through the spirit what words to really take weight upon and what words that you know, maybe, maybe this isn't it. And what I felt for those two words was that the warning is if we don't pray. The warning is that if we don't, if we don't pray and if we're just unaware and we go in there, that Satan's really going to disrupt things. And it, it might mean, not mean us getting imprisoned, but uh, it might mean the ministry just being awash, that people aren't getting ministered to. But if we pray and we bind that that aggressive spirit, the spirit of distraction and anger, and we just declare God's blessing over that area, and we claim the open heaven, which was the other word, that that's going to be released, and we're going to see a mighty work. And you know what happened? That's exactly what happened. We went into that area, and it was one of the most powerful times of ministry that I've ever had in my life. And uh, we began praying for these Bible college students, and the glory of God just showed up. And they were getting wrecked. And I'll tell you that demons did manifest. Uh, I mean, a, if you go on missions, yeah, demons are going to manifest and stuff. And usually if you've been around a demon, manifesting is very loud, very distracting, uh, very unnerving. People don't like it. But you know what? In that area, when we pray for people, even though the demons would manifest, they were silent. They, they, they couldn't talk. You know, we abound that spirit of anger and that distracting spirit. And so they start, manifest. we would just say a prayer over them, it's, you know, get, get them to be calm. And we just continued to minister. And people got touched radically during that time. And I really believe if we had ignored the prophetic words, if we hadn't prayed over that region, that those demons could have manifested in a way that would just stop the ministry. They would have had to force us to all focus on this, these few guys, and then other people can't get touched. It's powerful to pray over a region. God has special plans. And... Um, Another another city that we prayed for, we just got clear word that idolatry was there, and so I was so confident in my spirit as we prayed over that region that this was this was a, a big problem in the area. That I made a specific sermon just for that area in dealing with idolatry and conviction. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm growing in my boldness and confidence. You know, Pastor Christian definitely is a lot stronger there, you know, and just saying how it is. But uh, God gave me that opportunity to really just speak it out and speak what idolatry is and how wrong it is and how we need to get in the fire of God. And uh, God worked in that area. We were ready. We could have gotten really discouraged in that area if we weren't prepared because, you know, the Spirit of God did not move as strongly in that area because many of the leaders in the church were in idolatry and there was curses over that church. But we were equipped. We were ready. We were focused. We were able to approach uh, the pastor afterwards to confront him in love but also in boldness and uh, really get things straight in that area. And uh, I want to tell you guys that as you pray over a region, if you're going on missions, as you pray over a region, God's going to give you confidence, he's going to give you strength, and he's going to really give you bullseyes to target. And you're going to see God work in a mighty way. And it's not limited to missions. It it's includes your schools, your families. When I do healing deliverance ministry, I often find that certain people have, it's not just generational curses, but there's often... Attacks that Satan will really target a certain family on. And certain families will really struggle if if divorce is very common in a family. Like lust, that can be an issue with that family. Other families, it it can be anger, poverty, um, other things. And you want to learn how to war for your family. You want to learn, what are the areas that my family is vulnerable to? What do I need to pray for? And God will really give you extra strength, extra authority as you pray. You're going to see more and more breakthrough. So uh, when I heard that the China team is going to go to these different cities, uh, some of the cities I've visited before and other cities I've studied on, uh, this just what I just shared with you, kind of resonated in my heart. I remember uh, I went to Guangzhou, which is one of the cities they're going to. Uh, I visited there in 2004 on a study abroad trip with students from Virginia Tech. And um, I just remember that city, and I pray it's changed, but it was very dark. And uh, there were construction cranes everywhere. And I, I think this is true for most Chinese cities, but everywhere, construction cranes. Literally, you can just turn every direction. You're going to see huge construction trains, cranes. I'm sorry, cranes. We would drive like a mile, and there'd be more. And you could just see all this, but it felt very empty. And uh, I remember I went to our four-star hotel room, turned on the TV, and uh, it was it was hardcore abusive porn. Uh, it was like rape. You turn on the TV, and there's rape happening right in front of you. And it was. I mean, I. Turned it off immediately, but it was extremely disturbing. And I thought maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just my TV. But when we got back together as a, as a study abroad group, people were shaken up. I mean, they, they were messed up. And there was only one other Christian out of like the 40 of us. But everyone else was just like, did you turn on your TV? I mean, did you see that? And um, a lot of prostitutes uh, we were approached by. And and uh, just a lot of darkness, lust, and emptiness really marked uh, that time in Guangzhou. And I pray it's improved for that team that's going there. But uh, I think you guys, as you go city to city, God's going to really show different areas uh, to really be praying for. God's going to release clear vision. And if you guys didn't know, Matt and Tigger, Matt Wachter and and Tigger, um, they had trouble with their visa. And uh, it got complicated. They had to send their passports to America, but then it didn't get worked out. They got their passports back here. So they had to go to Hong Kong to get the visa. And uh, they were sent there. It was, it was a bit sketchy, but they got their visas today. Praise the Lord. So that's another praise. And, uh, yeah, and they're going to Shanghai. They're going to Shanghai tonight. And now, if you don't know, the China team won't leave until Monday. But Matt and Tigger, I, I really believe that God set them apart as spies uh, to go. You know, it's them two. Send them together. And uh, they're going into Shanghai. And I believe God's going to release more and more revelation. You know what? You've got to expect it. You guys are friends of God uh god loves you the spirit of god is with this church you don't need to have a super prophetic gift in order to pick up on these things Uh, i mean you can just walk around Seoul and and look at the the bars and look at just the 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 barber shops you know and and just see the different strongholds here Uh, as you pray god will give you more and more sensitivity but uh i i just believe god's going to do this with the china team in a mighty way and uh, another city that this team is going to visit is the city of nanjing and um, I'm going to speak about this city tonight. I-, I apologize. It's a little bit of a heavy message. Um, we had ministry time, so you guys can't complain. We, we loved on you guys. Um, but if-, if you don't know, justice is a big part of my life. Uh, justice and righteousness, are it's the throne of God, the foundation of the throne of God. And I'm going to speak on this city, Nanjing. And it was originally spelled with a K. Uh, so I guess if you were an American, you'd call it Nanking. But uh, I think the proper pronunciation is Nanqing, Qing. And it's the same with Beijing. Beijing was originally spelled P-E-K-I-N-G, Peking. But they changed the spelling to Beijing. Um, apparently, it's Beijing. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm not Chinese. So uh, there you go. There's a little Chinese lesson on you guys. You get confused with the cities you're going to. But uh, I'm going to speak on the city Nanjing, I'm going to probably call it Nanking, because that was how it was pronounced during World War II. And uh, I'm going to go over some of, the, some of the things that happened in that city, uh, some of the atrocities that happened in that city, and what we can learn from it. So if you're taking notes, it's, sorry it's a heavy title, but uh, the title of the sermon today is Lessons from the Rape of Nanking. Lessons from the Rape of Nanking. And uh, before I go into it, uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us. Heavenly Father, I just praise you for your presence in this place, God. And I praise you, Lord God, that you are with this church, that you are with, Lord God, just this group of believers, your family, Lord, that you love us so much, God. I just praise you that your presence is with the group in Papua, with the group in Jakarta. Your presence will be with the China team as they go forth, and your presence will continue to minister here as well, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that our blessing, or Lord God, just uh, our intimacy with you, intimacy with you, is not based upon a certain leader in the church or or upon certain people around us, Lord God. But Lord God, you are heart to heart, and you are with us, God, and your presence is here, Lord God, to minister, to open eyes. God, I just bless this word, Lord. I pray that you just prepare every heart, that Lord God, you just open us up, that you enable us to receive God, and that Lord, uh, you just stir a heart of injustice within us, God, a heart of compassion for the victims of injustice, a heart of wrath, of rage, Lord God, for just the demonic powers that are at work, Lord God, in this world, that are just oppressing your people, your children, your treasure, Lord God, so much, Lord. And I just declare, Lord God, that you have given us, Lord God, just the spirit of liberty, God. You have given us, Lord God, a spirit, Lord God, that will release liberty in those around us, God, that you have anointed us with your spirit to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And I just declare that spirit of justice, that spirit of freedom, increasing in your church tonight, Lord. And God, we confess, that we love because you first loved us. I ask for your love to equip us. I ask, the Lord God, that you give us strength through this word. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, a lot of the world is, is aware of what happened in Germany during World War II, and uh, they're aware of the Holocaust and of the millions, millions of people that died. Uh, under Hitler, not just the Jews, but the gypsies and and other minorities uh, who were killed in in the Holocaust. Not as many are aware of the uh, tens of millions that died under Stalin in the prison camps of the Soviet Union and the atrocities that he did. Uh, And not as many, especially Americans, uh, I don't know about Australians or or other countries, but many people are are unaware of what happened here in Asia and uh, the atrocities that Japan did. And um, the Japanese, when they took over most of Asia during World War II, uh, it, was, it was pretty bad. Um, it wasn't just a war, but they went in and, and they killed many civilians. You guys are probably familiar with the comfort women from Korea and uh, the women that they would kidnap and, and take away and just had to serve as sex slaves uh, for the Army. And uh, the atrocities that they went into, I don't want to go into detail about that stuff, but uh, you imagine the worst. Uh, It was the worst for these women. Uh, They even did chemical testing uh, upon the civilians and upon their prisoners of war. And uh, just horrendous things that happened. And a lot of it didn't get out into the light. And there's different reasons for that. And in my opinion, a lot of it is because after the war, uh, you had the Cold War occurring. And uh, because America needed Japan and and, uh, because China was beginning to side with the Soviet Union. Uh, the Japanese people that, were, that committed these crimes, many of them, uh, they did not get the penalty that they deserved. Germany, they went through just these full court processes. Everything was brought to light, but a lot was covered over here in Asia. And um, what I'm going to focus on is what the Chinese did uh, in the city of Nanking, which was originally the capital of China, it was the capital of China at least during the war. And what happened was the Japanese were invading. They, they went through Korea. They already had Korea, actually, uh, in the early 1900s, and they were sweeping through China. And they came to Shanghai, and the Japanese, they were trained up very well. These Japanese soldiers had to go through just rigid discipline. I think it was about four times, five times the amount of hours that American soldiers would have to go through training and classes. They had to go through intense. Um, I mean, you think of the Korean students that study all the time. It's the same for Japan, but these were the soldiers all the time. And they were disciplined severely. Uh, And it was a very harsh discipline where officers would just grab a random soldier, bring him out, and begin slapping him across the face and beating him with a pipe. And they would say, I'm beating you because I love you. There was no reason for the discipline. It wasn't that the soldier did anything wrong. It was just their warped sense of honor. Uh, in japan and what happened was it it really began to deprive a lot of these soldiers they were also taught though that they were the top race and it was very ethnocentric so as they began to conquer different countries in asia they went in with a mentality that we are greater than you and i you can't judge japan because sadly a lot of other countries have this mentality as well Uh, americans can have this mentality a lot as they go into different countries as you visit different countries there can be this mentality that oh you're primitive Oh, you know, you don't know everything. Satan uses that a lot. Well, he had his hand on the Japanese during this time. So they went into China well-trained, just disciplined to, to, to a T, and with this mindset that we're just going to take over China like that, we're going to take over these people, and we're going to take control. But when they went to Shanghai, they were met with uh, quite a resistance, a lot more than they expected. And it took a long time for them to win the Battle of Shanghai. And during that time, they began to get frustrated and jaded, And they just wanted to just just take China by the mouth. They wanted to take it very quickly. So when Shanghai fell and the Chinese forces began to retreat into the interior, the Japanese were going in a rampage. They were going to take the land. And they came to Nanking, which is a little farther inland from Shanghai. And uh, as they approached, the Chinese army fell into disarray. What happened was the Chinese army had at least 90,000 men, if not 300,000. But their top generals were commanded by the leader of China to leave the area, commanded to retreat. And so what the Chinese army had to do is watch their commanding officers flee, just leave by boat, leave by car, leave them alone. So they had no officers, and so they were left in disarray. And they saw all these refugees as well were commanded to leave the city of over a million And these refugees are just filing out of the city. And these soldiers know that if Japan comes, they're going to be prisoners of war. So what these soldiers begin to do is they begin to rob, go into stores and take clothing and take off their their army fatigues and put on just regular civilian clothes. They were so desperate to the point that they would grab civilians, strip them of their clothing, and put that on themselves. There was chaos that was wrecking the city. And what happened is, when the Japanese arrived, there were less than there was about five hundred thousand civilians left, uh, less than half the city, and many of the soldiers were in disarray. And the soldiers came to the Japanese and laid down their arms. And so that the Japanese had just these hundreds of thousands of people in front of them for their taking, and the Japanese soldiers got a word from their superiors, and it said, "Kill all captives." That was the word that they received, and um, the reasoning behind that that they were given or at least that they said after the war, is that there was just too many Chinese people to take care of, uh, and it was just too much for food and water and resources. So they just needed to do away with them. And uh, what they did was interesting. Uh, Rather than just doing a massacre right then and there that would have caused even more chaos, what the Japanese did was they promised the Chinese that uh, we will bring you food, we will bring you water, we will take care of you. In fact, they had even sent the Air Force in before the invasion that threw down leaflets into the city with this propaganda of this Japanese soldier taking care of a Chinese family as, a, as an older Chinese woman looked on gratefully. And just all this propaganda that don't worry, um, Japanese regime will take good care of you, will do a better job than your Chinese government. And so the people that were left in the city had at least this hope that the Japanese would take care of them. And the Japanese promised them, we'll feed you, we'll take care of you. But they didn't. They just gave them empty promises. And after about two, three days, the Chinese people were exhausted. They had no food, they had no water. And what the Japanese did was they began to take them in groups of 50, of 100, of 200 different groups, and they removed them from the city and took them out. And they slaughtered them. And they would just line them up And they would take their bayonets and just, they would do bayonet practice, target practice. Uh, They would bury them alive. They would burn them. They would do every uh, inhuman type of act upon these innocent, not just soldiers, but civilians as well. They would kill them. And um, what happened is the Chinese were so just exhausted and so broken and so beaten that they didn't fight back. That The accounts show that they would just line up. And these men would go one by one, one by one, and the Chinese would do nothing. They would just die, and they would fall back. The corpses would be on the ground. They would bring in the next group. They would see the corpses, and they would know what what awaited them. But they were too weak to fight back. And the Japanese, they didn't just stop at that, but they invaded the city. And they just went in, and and they raped. They pillaged. They did more than rape. Um, they, They went after pretty much anybody. And uh, just Satan began to take over them. I'm going to share a little bit about this because you guys need to be aware that this isn't just one occasion of, of Japanese people attacking Chinese people. But this has happened all throughout history, especially more in the 1900s. That what I'm sharing about Nanking has happened in Cambodia, has happened in Rwanda, has happened in Sudan, has happened in many other places in the world, and is happening in North Korea right now. Perhaps not to this extreme, but it is happening. Satan is working. And uh, in the city of Nanking, they raped so many that uh, estimates are between 20,000 and 80,000 of the women uh, were raped. And many of them, after being raped, were then killed. uh, From from young children to even old grandmothers, they were raped. Uh, This is what they did. And uh, so these Chinese, the estimates are that up to... Uh, estimates range, to be honest, about, about the death toll, but most seem to agree uh, outside of Japanese ultra-nationalists that about 300,000 people were massacred uh, in this city and that many, many were raped, and this is why it's called the Rape of Nanking because there was never even a battle. There was never even a resistance that immediately the Chinese laid down their weapons. They were defenseless, and so it was a massacre. It was not a battle, and it was not just soldiers, POWs, but it was civilians. It was men and women who were killed. And uh, as the Japanese took the city, there, there were written accounts of, from Japanese soldiers of what they did. There was even newspapers, clippings of it, of people having uh, just little competitions between fellow soldiers who could kill more Chinese than the other. And it even hit Japanese newspapers of these different men. They were up to, like, 100. They were going for 200. They were going for more than that, just a kill count. And uh, one Japanese soldier said that... Um, he said that as, as they arrived, he was a new recruit, and as many of the new recruits arrived, they noticed that, uh, that just there was a lot of wrong going on, and there was a lot of wrong in the Japanese soldiers, their superiors. And this is his quote. He says, they had evil eyes. They weren't human eyes, but the eyes of leopards or tigers. And he says that these new recruits were taught, he was taught how to behead prisoners. And soon the killing became easy, and it, they no longer saw the evil eyes around them the same soldier he admits that soon the killing it became routine for him he stated human beings turned into murdering demons everyone became a demon within 3 months as uh, you know non-christians account the soldier afterwards another japanese soldier confessed they gang raped women from the ages of 12 to 80 they then killed them when they could no longer satisfy sexual requirements i beheaded people starved them to death Burned them, buried them alive, over 200 in all. This is one soldier. It is terrible to think that I could turn into an animal and do these things. There are really no words to explain what I was doing. I was truly a devil. These are accounts of soldiers afterwards, uh, after the chaos had died down, after they had returned to Japan. These soldiers weren't tried and they weren't put in trials. They later just started to confess and admit these things. And uh, it's shocking to think that many of these people, they were just tradesmen before. They were just regular workers. Then they're thrown into this army. They arrive and they see this evil going on and they're shaken. But then they're forced into learning how to do these atrocities on the people. And as they're forced into it, just the demon that was over the army at that time took control of them as well. And it wasn't until the war was ended that they began to get just that release. And it's the same in Cambodia Uh, If you guys aren't familiar with the genocide that happened in Cambodia, about a million, uh, not a million, about uh, I think it was 300,000 people died in Cambodia as a result of genocide there. I'm sorry, it was about 3 million in Cambodia, um, genocide there in the 70s. And for many of the people who did the killing, they were neighbors of the people they were killing. And that after the genocide, after finally peace came in and the government was removed, they went back to their normal lives because just like Japan, there were no war trials. They just went back to regular lives. And you had people in the same neighborhood, people who had been upon the, the oppressing side and people who were oppressed, and they were just living together. And they seemed peaceful. It seemed right. Why? Because those demons that were just controlling Cambodia for so long had left. And this is something that we need to understand, is that it's, it's, the world's getting darker. And that this stuff, history, doesn't just repeat itself, but it gets worse. And Jesus warns us in Matthew 24, he says, it's going to get darker. It's going to get a lot darker, and the love of many will grow cold. And many people say, well, we've learned from the Holocaust. But no, if you look at what's happened in Europe, in Serbia and Bosnia, if you look at what's happened in Sudan, if you look at what's happened in Rwanda and Mozambique, if you look at what's happened just in North Korea and Cambodia, uh, all around the world, in India and in Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, there have been such atrocities and... If you look at American history, I mean, it's all through American history as well. Uh, Americans with Native Americans. uh, It's tragic if you really read that history and look into it. A lot of it's been covered over uh, in our textbooks. So I'm sharing these things not to just, like, you know, depress you guys, but to bring an awareness that we need to know about this. We can't ignore this. To ignore what happened in these areas is to really just disrespect the lives of those who died. To ignore them, to ignore the Father's heart. Because, you know, God says that the blood of the innocent cry out from the ground. That the blood of the innocent cry out from the ground. And that there are curses upon the land because of innocent blood. And if we ignore abortion, if we ignore North Korea, if we ignore what's happened in China, then we are just allowing Satan to take greater control over this land. But if we are aware and if we pray, then not only are we bringing a healing element to those curses, but we are also disallowing the enemy from doing these atrocities in our land. And what I'm going to do before uh, I get into a message about just what I've shared, uh, the summary of Nanking, I do want to show you a short clip uh, from the trailer. It's a a documentary on the rape of Nanking. A woman, uh, her name is, I believe it was Iris Chang, she wrote the book, The Rape of Nanking, in 1997. She immediately got many death threats on her life uh, from the Japanese, and uh, she committed suicide about eight years later. Uh, because of the threats that were on her life, and also because of just her anguish in uncovering these stories and just uncovering what happened in Nanking. And um, I know that apart from the Spirit of God, I mean, this stuff... You either just want to, you know, close your eyes and look away and just pretend it doesn't happen, or it will overwhelm you and you'll feel hopeless. And I think that's how the author felt. But by the Spirit of God, we are able to see these things and rise up in the anger of the Lord, rise up in the justice of the Lord, and be able to pray down those evils and be able to declare God's glory, which is what we do every week for North Korea. Don't worry that this isn't, you know, super strong like Liberia, uh, the one that we showed a few months back. It's just two minutes. It's a short clip. Uh, you'll hear the story of uh, a woman who was eight years old at the time of the invasion. And then you'll hear just a short journal excerpt from a foreigner uh, who was there during that time. So, John, you can go ahead and cue it. Sorry, we got a little light show. When I was in the first time, I was in the first place to take care of Zhang Shengu. But when he was in the first place to take care of me, I was in the first he to in, care of him. 就把我父亲打死 the city is strangely silent three dangers are past that of looting Chinese soldiers bombing from airplanes and shelling from big guns but the fourth is still before us our fate at the hands of the victorious army People do not know what to expect. They found out soon enough. From the moment they entered the city, Japanese troops engaged in a campaign of murder, rape, looting, and arson that was so barbaric... A British reporter actually compared them to Attila and the Huns. During the first few days, the Japanese army killed tens of thousands of defenseless Chinese prisoners of war. It's hard to believe it was all done out in the open in full view, without shame. Short but a pictures worth a thousand words. And uh, I remember when I was in eighth grade, I actually saw some of that footage. I saw other footage uh, of people, you can turn on the lights, uh, people being buried alive uh, in China. And it was just amidst this World War II video, and it just it, it hit me, just something in me. And I wasn't really a walking with God then, back in eighth grade, but it was something that I couldn't shake. And. Um, we got to be aware of these things, and we got to know that, man, Satan is not just you know, the guy that comes and tempts us, and we just try and deal with him. But he's a murderer. Uh, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when I say steal, kill, and destroy, I don't mean just try and like, tempt us with little things. But he's out to massacre us. He's out to destroy us. And what you see in the Rape of Nanking, what you see in Cambodia and, and Germany and, and these other areas is Satan unleashed. I mean, Satan just unleashed having his way completely. And when he has his way completely, I mean, there's, there's no stopping. There's no morality. Morality is removed. Grace and love are removed. And it's a scary place. And I want to tell you guys that uh, we can't think that, oh, that will be in another 200 years that it's going to get darker. It's not my lifetime. But uh, I'm telling you, this stuff has already happened way before our lifetime. And that it is going to get harder. It might not be for 10 years. It might not be 20 years. I don't know but I really believe that God's spirit is on this church. He's upon each and every one of you. You're capable of seeing this. You're capable of receiving this because God's giving you his spirit and God's going to strengthen you and you're going to be one of those watchmen on the wall. You're going to be one of those protectors of the city. You're going to be one of those that's going to stand in the gap and protect people from such injustice. You're going to be one of those people that is going to go into an area, I don't know if it's North Korea or South Korea or China or somewhere else, but you're going to go and you're going to stand from the enemy. You're going to command him to leave. You're going to say, not my house, not my city. You're going to command him to go. And you know what? During this, this invasion, there were actually foreigners in the city, a few missionaries, surgeons, even some Nazis that were in that area that protected uh, hundreds of thousands of, of Chinese, from uh, more than tens of thousands, at least more than tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, from the massacring. They set up a safety zone. And there were only a few of them. Only a few of these foreigners that were there, but for some reason, the white faces or just the foreign faces the Japanese wouldn't kill, and they would actually get afraid of. And so they were able to just, you read their diary accounts, and it's just like stopping rape after rape after rape, you know, people trying to kill after kill, people trying to drag people out of the safety zone. They would run so much that uh, many, many of those foreigners, they actually died of mental exhaustion uh, within a few years later, but they were true heroes. And they really stood for our cross, and they did not have you know, a super anointing of the Holy Spirit. They just had a simple love of God in their heart, and they were able to do great. They're able to save tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives. And guys, I'm telling you, we have so much more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's glory has been poured out far more than His glory was poured out at that time. And so don't think that my life is just to minister to 10 people or to 20 people and that's enough. But God has given you His Spirit. He's given you His love. He's given you His heart so that you can reach thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands, if not more than that. I believe this for you guys. You guys are here for a purpose, even if you're just visiting. You're here for a purpose. God has set you apart. Now, a lot can be learned from the stories of Nan King. As I was reading the book, I I was praying for God to give me revelation. And you know what? When you read the Old Testament, it's history. And if you're reading and just, you know, without the spirit, it's just stories. David and Goliath, most non-Christians know that story. It's a great story, David and Goliath. And then all these other stories, they're nice stories. But if you have the spirit of God, if you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation on your life, you will see God far more into those words, far more into those stories. And God can teach you about your life. He can teach you about his love for you and for others in deep and powerful ways. And he can also teach you about the enemy. And I want to tell you, as I read that book, um, Rape of Nan King, and you guys are welcome to borrow it if, if it interests you, um, just God was revealing to me so much about one, about his heart, and another, about the enemy and the enemy's tactics. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to cover three, three things that the enemy tries to do in our lives. And when he has his way, he just goes all out. But if he can't, he works in subtle ways and tries to attack us. And the first lesson that is clear from Nanking, this is a clear lesson, is that lack of clear authority leaves us wide open. Lack of clear authority leaves us wide open. A verse for that is Matthew twenty-six thirty-one. Jesus says that uh, of God, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That was a prophecy over Jesus' life. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And uh, as I told you, the Chinese, they had a, a huge army that was there in the city. But because they had no officers They were disenchanted. They were disillusioned. They were afraid. They had no leadership. They had no one speaking into their lives that we can do this. They just threw down their weapons. And they allowed the Japanese to come and overtake them. And you want to know what? The Japanese actually had a limited amount of forces there. And they confessed later that if the Chinese had just risen up, if they had just tried, they could have easily overpowered us. But they were so disillusioned. They were so afraid and in despair that they never fought back. And they just killed them one by one by one by one by one. And this is the same in the church. You see, Satan knows, he knows that, that if he strikes the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. And we see this a lot in churches where, where the pastor will suddenly leave and the church will just start to collapse. It's not just because the pastor was ooh, the leader and we're counting on him, but there's also this orphan spirit that is released into the church. And this feeling that, man, does God really care for us? What's God doing? And this orphan spirit has just infected our generation so much in the church that you have so many people that are going church to church to church to church that are unable to commit out of that fear of rejection, out of that fear that the leadership's going to leave. They're disillusioned. They're disenchanted. And because of this, they're not able to receive discipline. They're not able to be refined and, and have accountability in their lives and really grow. This is something that the church has to address. And I'll tell you that many of the leaders in the Christian church today around the world are recognizing that one of our biggest weaknesses as a Christian church is the lack of leaders, especially in America, that many churches are just going through all the Bible colleges and seminaries trying to find someone that will lead their church, that there are so few. And uh, I want to tell you guys that God is wanting to raise you guys up. That God is wanting to strengthen you guys. That you don't have to have a seminary degree in order to preach, in order to lay hands, in order to heal, in order to bless. Otherwise, I wouldn't be up here. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been ministering, nor anyone else would have been ministering here today. But God's love was at work, and God's love is working. And I'm telling you guys that God is calling each of you to be a leader. It's really strong in my heart that um, we need to do more church plans. That Itaewon's been good, and you know it's going to take more time. We need more time, and there's going to be deeper relationships formed. But we have something so special here. We have such an anointing here. I mean, I hear just such wonderful things about the worship on Sundays and how it's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's something that we need to treasure and enjoy. But for us to forever treasure and enjoy is to disrespect and just to ignore the hurting souls all around us. That there are so many, not just in the city, but around Korea, foreigners, uh, not just Koreans, but foreigners who need love who need hope, who need just just a breath of fresh air. They can just get in the presence of worship. It doesn't have to be hillside, you know, Sunday afternoon worship, but just simple worship. They need it so bad. And I'm telling you guys, we have so many leaders in this place. I'm pleased that this church, we have more than half of the membership are leaders in this church. Isn't that amazing? Uh, but while that's amazing, I really believe it should be more because the Spirit of God is on this church. And uh, we're not just trying to, you know, break up the ground and just trying to press forward. But God's grace is upon us, and we got to run with it. We've got to run with his anointing. And uh, I want to encourage you guys to really pray and believe God is going to do greater things in your life. That you're not just here for a season, then you go home and you just do whatever. Or you're not just here to continue to do small group here in this church for the rest of your life. But God is calling you to grow up in the ranks. He's calling you to rise up in humility and an anointing and to be a leader for the broken. To be a leader in your work and to be a leader in the community. To be a leader in a church plant. To go out. We need more leaders. You know, the atrocities that the Japanese did upon the Chinese, they didn't have leaders. They had no one directing them. And this is the church today. And God is calling you guys, he's calling all of us to step up, to believe God for more. Amen. And we also need to take this word of heart to pray for Pastor Christian, to pray for your leaders. You guys got to know that, that Satan's top target is always the, the top leader of the church, the head leader. And it's the same in the army. A sniper will always go for the commanding officer. He'll always go for whoever has the most medals or the most stars or anything like that. He's not going to go for just any, you know, any soldier. It's the same in the church. And then, so we need to be covering our leaders. We need to be praying for them. And I want to challenge you, church, if uh, you haven't signed up for fasting for the mission teams yet, uh, do that. Uh, You guys need to do that because we've sent out most of our leadership on the church. And uh, almost everybody's gone. (laughs) And uh, we need to be covering them in prayer. And we need to be covering this church as well. When you fast, you're not just praying for miracles in Papua and miracles in Jakarta and in China. But you're also praying for God's glory to continue his mighty work here, that the enemy will not get in. God's called us all to be watchmen on the wall. He's called us all to stand in the gap, not just certain leaders. You know what? If, if you just expect your leader to do everything and tell you what to do, you're a slave. That's what slaves do. They just expect to be, be told what to do, and they just do what they're called to do. And they have no thought that I'm going to be promoted, that I'm, going to be, that I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to be a leader someday. They just have that slave mentality. But God has not given that call for this church. We're sons and daughters. And we're called to know that as God pours out his spirit, as, as God calls us to serve him in humility, he's going to raise us up. That this is a family business. It's a family business. A church is a family business. And if his children don't rise up, then his, the children's children are going to be left alone. You know, my, my dad, um, he has... Uh, my, my grandfather started a business, family business, Becker Electric in Alexandria, Virginia. He started it right after World War II. He returned from Japan. And uh, he started with a borrowed truck and some borrowed tools. And he had a helper. And, and he worked it up. And, and now it's it's... It's a company, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, I don't know how many employees, uh, 70, 100, something like that, but uh, it's grown. And you know what, he had each of his sons, my dad, my uncles, they had to work there as helpers. They didn't know what they were doing, they were like 12 years old, 14 years old, 16 years old, carry the tools around, give me what I need, you know, do do dig, dig a ditch, you know, do these different things, but they did that. And as they were helpers, they didn't have a mentality that, oh, I'm just going to be a helper, you know, the rest of my life, but they wanted to learn the trade. My dad and many of my uncles became certified electricians. And what happened was later, some of my uncles, they began to work in the company. And uh, my grandfather, he passed away last year. And what happened was my uncle took over the company as the head. My dad is the treasurer. And uh, my other uncles help out as well. And it's beautiful. And I serve there as a helper. My cousins served there as a helper. And, and other family members have served in the office as well. And you know what? If, if my uncles or my dad had had that mentality that, oh, I'm just going to be a helper, and I'm just going to do what I'm told to do, and I'm just going to work here, and dad will take care of everything, that, you know, when my dad my grandfather passed away, this past uh, it was this past year, um, the business would have, it would have collapsed. There would have been no one there. But they saw it was a family business. They saw that they got to rise up, and they weren't in control of their promotion. It wasn't that, hey, you know, dad, I'm going to take this job now. They waited on their dad. They waited on my grandpa. But he called them out. He gave them favor. And the company is continuing to flourish. It's continuing to be blessed. It's the same in the church. Guys, you've got to kick the slave mentality. And you've got to start acting as sons and just seeking what, the, what pleases the Lord, what pleases your leaders. What do I need to be doing? And I'm telling you that as you humble yourself, you will be exalted. That as you look to the Lord, he will lift you up in due time. As you humble yourself before him, he will lift you up in due time. And he's going to promote you. He's going to bless you because that's your calling. You're a son and a daughter, and the church needs you. We can't let Satan just destroy us like the Japanese destroy the Chinese. We have to stand the gap. We have to keep with them. So another clear lesson I'm going I'm to get share from, from the rape of Nanking King is the enemy's tactic of starving people into submission. This is what Satan does. Starves us into submission. You know, like I shared, they dropped these leaflets, they gave these promises, they told them they'd take care of them, and they just gave them empty words. And the Chinese believed them. And they trusted them, and they waited, and they became exhausted, and they became just lifeless. And so when they were told to get on the truck and they knew where they were going, they submitted. They had no strength left within them. And they were just, they were ready to die. <laughs> it's pretty, it pretty sad, but, but this is the state of many Christians today. That, you know, we, we often think, well, when Satan tempts, he tries to throw the big stuff like, you know, lust and pornography or, or, you know, substance abuse or or just these heavy spirits at us. But you know what? Satan often chooses to work in subtle ways, you know, through things that aren't necessarily bad. But if they're a substitute for God, they'll murder us. And they'll say, you know, hey, you're tired. And I know you haven't had your quiet time, but you know, I think you just you deserve some TV you deserve a movie. You deserve video games. You deserve sleep. Just rest. Just just take it easy. God will still be there. He'll still be there in a few days. And you just start to take control. You start to listen to those lies and start to allow just the things of the world to try and to fill you. To try and to give you that rest and to give you what you deserve. And as you do that, you get emptied of the Spirit. And soon just... Just a bitterness will come in or this frustration or you'll get easily angered or a stronger temptation will come in or you'll just lose your appetite for the Lord. This is what Satan does. He tries to starve you into submission. And uh, I'll tell you, when we were in Myanmar, a lot of unexpected things happened during our trip. It wasn't just a very easy trip where God did great things. But, you know, we arrived there and, and the next day our flight got canceled. It was just some, some things with the government. And so our, our full day of ministry that we had been looking forward to and prayed over was canceled. And we had to do, I think it was three or four flights in one day in order to get to our destination. It was a lot of flying. We finally got there, and we only had time for one revival service at night. Uh, but we went for it, and we were a bit disorganized. We weren't fo- totally prepared. There were some mistakes, but we just went for it. And the next day, uh, we, we were told this one schedule, but we found out it was totally different. And we ended up ministering at four different places that day. And I remember we got to one place, and I was like, Marcus, are you ready? No, I'm not ready. All right, and we had to just grab people. You guys do testimony. You know, Get up there and speak. And we just had to roll with the punches. Just roll with it. And God continued to show up. He continued to hit them. And uh, we could have easily gotten discouraged and been like, man, we're not prepared for this, or what do we do? Or, or gotten all you know, stressed. But we were very secure. And uh, when we went to that, that city where idolatry was so strong and and uh, we could have gotten easily discouraged as we prayed for people and nothing was happening or people were just getting ministered a little and, and we knew idolatry was so strong. We had to confront this pastor and it's just one of the most discouraging things in the world to try and talk to a pastor who's supposed to be a light in this dark city and he is just overrun by despair and his family is just getting oppressed by the enemy and you see it with your own eyes. We could have gotten mad discouraged, but the team kept, kept their chin up and um, you know we got back aches, headaches. Stomach aches just all these different physical things ailments were happening during the trip We could have gotten so discouraged and i'm telling you guys if we had not prayed it through We would have likely have lost a lot of the blessings god had in store for us But our team we kept focused and the team prayed in the morning. We prayed at night We had small group. We were openly sharing with each other how we were doing what we were struggling with We weren't letting any lie get in And when somebody was sick, all right, get in the middle, we're praying for you. After we minister, we pray for each other. We pray cleansing prayers. And I'm telling you, because we kept going to the Lord, as we kept seeking him and not saying, hey, guys, you know, we had four four places we ministered today. We had revival service last night. We got more stuff in the morning. I'm exhausted. Let's just go to sleep early tonight. Instead, we prayed. And we sought the Lord. And we said, our strength is not in sleep. Our strength is not in food. Our strength is not in these things. Our strength is in the Lord. And we got the strength that we needed. And uh, God did a mighty work on that trip. And I want to challenge the China team. I want to challenge you guys, every individual in this place. You have to pray your life through. You have to pray it through. Because Satan doesn't fight according to our conditions. He's constantly coming at us. And he knows guerrilla warfare. He tries to get us when we're sleeping. He tries to get us when we're weak. And that's when He tries to come the most. And we have to keep feeding ourselves. We have to keep listening to the Lord and knowing that taste and see the Lord is good. That His love is better than life. That in Him we are satisfied. And He does, he does give us the, the desires of our heart. And He does give us you know time to rest and time to enjoy movies and time to enjoy a good night's sleep. He delights in us. A good night's sleep, it is from the Lord. But first, we need to find our sustenance in Him. First, we have to look to Him. So that's that's just a warning for you guys for the church for the china team as well to be alert to be on your guard And to not let satan try and starve you to not let satan try and distract you with different things But to just keep focusing on the lord in prayer and in praise and just his love like tonight You don't even have to be doing warfare prayers. Just enjoy his presence Just enjoy his touch and he will give you the strength that you need our God, we can advance against a troop with his help. We can scale the highest wall. We can run through a barricade. That's with the Lord. That's with his help. One more lesson that I'm going to give tonight before we go into a time of prayer is um, the power of desensitizing. And uh, this is Satan's tactic that you will see just in every facet of life, but especially in in the genocide and, and just your... Your worst atrocities in the world, you will see this very strongly, but you also see this in just little subtle ways. The power of being desensitized. Scripture says that to be sensitive is to be aware of those around you, to know what's going on. If I'm, if I'm being sensitive to, to, to John, I will pick up on when, when John is, is struggling, when he's hurt, when he's joyful. I'll just be able to know in my spirit. God's given me that sensitivity. He's given me that love. But the opposite of sensitivity is sensual, being sensual. And that's basically, it's, it's not just a, a physical lust for, you know, for sex or something like that, but it's a lust for just what you want. It's a, it's a covetousness. It's a desire for what you want. And no longer am I focusing on, on what John needs. I'm focusing on myself. And I'm thinking of myself. And as you grow more and more sensual, as you get more and more desensitized, that's where things like rape, child abuse, things that you would say, oh, that's, that's an atrocity. I would never do that. But you know what? As you get more and more focused on yourself, you just don't think of others. And you don't think of the consequences that are going on. And that is what happened with the Japanese army. That as they went in, they became so desensitized from the discipline they had received, from the unjust beatings that they had received and and being trained as soldiers and and in just having to kill people just, just recklessly, that they became desensitized. It became easy for them. Murder and rape and just every atrocity. It was no big deal. They were really focused more and more on themselves. I'm going to tell you that most victims of, of physical abuse or sexual abuse or neglect, maybe they were abandoned as children, many of them will swear and say that I will never do this to my own children. I will never abuse my child. I will never neglect my child. I will never abandon my child. But the sad thing is, if you look at statistics, that most of the people that, that do these offenses were people that were abused in their childhood, and they just passed it along. And you know what? They can say it all they want with their mouth, but if they do not get healing in their heart, if they do not let the Lord in and, and, and the Lord come in and bring that healing, it's a disease. And they will pass that disease on to their children. It's just like someone who gets a disease from their parents and just vows, I will not pass this along to my children. But they never get it treated. And they never get healed of it. Then their words are meaningless and they pass it along to their children. And sadly, this is happening in a lot of the church. This is happening in a lot of Christians that we come in and we vow that, man, I'm going to be this person. I'm never going to do this to my kids and I, I'm never going to act this way. But we don't allow God into our heart. And we don't allow God to bring us into confession and forgiveness of these areas and allow his heart to become our own, to receive that true healing. And the sad thing is, it's just the, the hurt continues, the pain continues, and it spreads. Corey ten Boom, she was a survivor of the concentration camps in Germany and uh, during, after, during World War II. Afterwards, she stated that the victims of the camps and of the war, we were only able to begin rehabilitation when they were able to share what happened to them and forgive their perpetrators. That she set up a center for healing of these people that endured the concentration camps and people that endured just, just atrocities during the war. And these people came in, and they were broken people. They were hurting people. And they were filled with hate towards those who had hurt them. They were filled with just anger and rage at the people who had taken their loved ones. And it was just bickering and, and pain just marked that location. But she said, as God just began to work and as they prayed, that soon people began to confess. And she found that once they were able to forgive those who had hurt them, able to bring it out into the open, one, just share what happened to them with, with, the, with their fellow victims and just get it out and then just start to forgive, that there was a transformation in their lives. And they went from bitter, broken, hurting people to people just alive with the love of Christ alive with his strength with his healing power and they are able to minister to others in powerful ways guys one of the ways to break through the ice and the numbness and just that desensitizing that satan tries to give to us is to ask god god give me your heart for these people god give me your heart for those around me god help me know your heart because he says love your neighbor as yourself and he says you love because i first loved you and apart from me you can do nothing So, I mean, we can't put it on ourselves. We can't say, I'm never going to hurt my kids. I'm never going, I'm going to love my kids. You know, our words, they're empty without the spirit of God working through us. Without God able to work through our lives and minister to them. We need his heart. And I'm telling you, if those Japanese soldiers who went into Nanking, if they had had just an ounce of God's heart for the people of China, they would have never done those atrocities. They would have never hurt them in those ways. War is war. War is dirty. But they would have never hurt the, the innocent. They would have never done those things. And guys, we can't blame them because they did not have the Lord. They did not know the Lord. You can't blame someone for doing these things if they don't know the Lord's love. We've got to pray for them. We have to bless them. We have to stand in the gap. Our battle's not with flesh and blood. Our battle's not with the Japanese. Our battle's not with the Nazis. Our battle's not with, with just these different, different extremists. Our battle's with the demons that are behind them. Now, I know that I speak on grave topics, and uh, I know my last, I think my last three Friday, Friday Fire sermons were uh, abortion, uh, North Korea, and then Liberia. And if you are here for Liberia, man, uh, that video is something else. The Vice Guide to Liberia, you should watch that. Um, it's pretty rough, but it's pretty amazing as well. There, it gets really good about the halfway point. And uh, I wonder, God, you know, why are you giving me these messages? And, and for one, he says, well, it's Friday fire um, that they're, they can receive this. You don't preach these messages on Sunday uh, to, to, to newcomers. But, um, but, you know, like I said at the beginning of this message, we've we got to hear this. Uh, that more than just these simple lessons that I've given you guys, I mean, those are very simple lessons. There are lessons you've got to take to heart, because if you look to North Korea I mean, he's taking advantage. The the people that are in the prison camps desensitized like crazy. The leaders of North Korea completely desensitized to their people. They're starving their own people. Million, 1.7 million may die this year because of famine. Leaders, they're totally desensitized. They're they're not caring. And, uh, you know, leadership in North Korea, I mean, where is the Christian voice? The underground church, I mean, they're there. And God is just, his love is so much for them. And he's working through them. But, But uh, there is no vocal voice in the country. They have to be underground. And so so many are lost. So many are in despair. So many are gripped by fear. They don't know that there is a better way. They don't know that there's freedom and that there's healing in the Lord. And starving, I mean, yeah, you talk about people that are starving, not just physically, but spiritually. It's been 65 years. You know, they've been under this oppression. And uh, these people are desperate. These people need the Lord. And so we got to intercede for them. The blood of the innocent cry out, and we have to do something about it. We have to intercede. And uh, I was oblivious to North Korea until I watched the videos. I was oblivious until I began to read the books. I was oblivious about Nanking until I saw that book. Uh, and, and I was like, you know, what's going on here? I began to read it, and God began to stir my heart. You know, these are the words of God about Abraham, the father of our faith. It says in Genesis eighteen nineteen, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. That was a command. That was God's word over Abraham's life. I'm going to mark him with righteousness and justice. He will teach this to his children, that they may receive all that I have for him. And uh, I'm going to tell you guys that more than just the touch of love, more than just being ministered to him, God has commanded us to walk in righteousness and justice. He has commanded us to stand in the gap, to be ministers to the broken, to the orphan, to the widow, to the homeless, to the needy. And uh, if you don't have that heart yet, God is going to give you that heart as you ask because this is his desire. And he has such blessings for you, but it's as you walk in his shoes that those blessings are released. It's as you wash the feet of the broken that those blessings are fully released and you get the strength that you need.